This is episode 478 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Childbirth in Olden Times. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. All right, guys, let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from uh, one of my favorite people or my favorite couples, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, their website, doomandbloom.net. And this article is entitled Childbirth in Olden Times. As I was getting ready for this, I, one of the reasons why it kind of came up was I, I recently had a dream of uh, two of my nieces. They're both you know, sisters and they're both pregnant at the same time. And I had this dream that one of them was giving birth and it was in a, it was like in a poop hit the fan scenario. I just don't know what was going on or, or why. And I just remember like people panicking. And uh, so, and maybe it was a subconscious thing from, you know, knowing that this article was, was there and, and ready for the podcast and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, it was just one of those, one of those dreams that came up. And then of course, you know, as soon as I was telling people like, okay, well, I guess I'm the only one with somewhat, you know, of knowledge of what to do. And so I'm like, okay, so start boiling some water. And then I woke up and maybe it was just my freaking out, you know, like I woke up uh, out of that dream. But anyway, it really brings home, right? We need to really think about this because right now we give birth or, you know, women give birth in, in, in today's times. They go to the hospital and it's, it's done. And, but it used to be from the beginning of time that women gave birth and the women knew how to help out and knew how to do that type of stuff. I mean, you know, there was definitely midwives and stuff like that and people who were uh, had more knowledge than most and people that would be experts in it and, and different things like that. But that is just so far removed. And the thing is, is that if we were in a real poop hit the fan scenario, that wouldn't stop. Childbirth and, you know, having babies and all that kind of stuff would not stop. But there's just a lot of things that go into it that we just don't really pay attention to or we don't know and we're just not skilled in it. So I thought this was a very interesting article by Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And so let's go ahead and jump into it. Again, childbirth in olden times. Here's a horror story, a tale that you might confront personally if you found yourself as the caregiver in a post-disaster scenario. In centuries past, women married in their mid-teens and often had 8 to 10 children. No, that's not the horror story. The horror story was whether a woman survived childbirth. Childbirth was so dangerous back then that a woman would sometimes make out her last will and testament as soon as she found out she was pregnant. Let's look at the Mayflower. Three women were pregnant when they boarded the Mayflower on its journey to America. One child... Oceanus Hopkins was born during the voyage and died during the first winter in Massachusetts. Another infant, Peregrine White, was born just off Cape Cod and lived to an old age. A third was stillborn after arrival at Plymouth. The mother died as a result of childbirth. 
In addition to the fear of maternal death or of the child dying, there was no pain relief during labor, except maybe for whiskey. In Puritan communities, pain during childbirth was considered to be deserved. According to Genesis 3.16, it was thought to be God's punishment for Eve and all women who came afterwards. So Genesis 3.16 says this, and this is King James Version. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thy shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. All right, so in the year 1800, a woman's chance of dying during childbirth was about 2% per birth. If a woman gave birth to eight or more children, her chances of eventually dying in childbirth were pretty high, and your chances were even worse if you were the baby. The chances of a child dying before the fifth birthday was around 20%. Rich women commonly employed wet nurses to breastfeed their babies for them. You might think this increased their chances of surviving, but hormones produced during breastfeeding are nature's way of spacing out children. As a result, rich women often ended up with more pregnancies than poor women. At 2% mortality per birth, the rich might have had even worse outcomes than the poor. If you were a slave in the southern states, things were much, much worse for both the mother and a baby. For good or bad, medical doctors began to take part in childbirth. They had the latest medical knowledge at their fingertips, but the latest 18th or 19th century knowledge wasn't always such a good thing. Midwives were and are often still preferred, at least having personal experience on their side. Physicians came with the access and authority that comes with the title and the ability to use hospitals. The advent of hospitals, however, wasn't such a great thing. As a matter of fact, the first hospitals in the U.S. were meant for poor folk that couldn't get doctors to come to their home. Before we understood bacteria and how infections spread, many were death traps. In fact, the doctors themselves were often sources of infection for women in labor, going from patient to patient with unwashed hands and instruments. As a result, hospitals were places of last resort as post-childbirth infections ran rampant. In the 1840s, physicians began to wash their hands or use chlorine solution between obstetric patients. The more strict the hand-washing routine, the lower the rate of infection in the hospital ward. Despite this, the idea didn't receive acceptance by the medical industry at large. Childbirth changed dramatically also in the 1840s with the development of anesthetics. A dentist named William Morton developed the use of ether for surgery in 1846 and obstetrician James Simpson introduced chloroform in 1847. Queen Victoria of England herself used chloroform during her delivery in 1853. It was her eighth child. In 1914, a method called twilight sleep was developed, which caused the mother to sleep through delivery. The drugs, however, sometimes caused respiratory depression in the baby, or in other words, stopped it from breathing at birth, and even overdosed some mothers. In the early mid-20th century, advances in medicine finally outpaced the access of the lower class to medical care. A doctor appointed city health inspector for Hell's Kitchen area in 1901 found that 1,500 newborn babies died in the district every week. The doctor named Sarah Josephine Baker was someone special. Her efforts to improve care included inventing infant formula, opening prenatal clinics, training babysitters and opening milk stations in the city. 
Her efforts resulted in a huge decrease in infant and child deaths. By the time Baker retired in 1923, New York City had the lowest infant mortality rate of any major American city. I sure hope that somewhere there's a statue dedicated to her. The main dangers for women and childbirth in the 19th century were the same you'll see in a long-term survival event today. Prolonged labors, excessive bleeding, and infection. Fetuses in abnormal positions, narrow pelvises, and large-sized infants were and are difficult to deliver. At one point or another, it became clear, often after two or more days in labor, that no progress was being made. This required a doctor to use instruments like forceps to pull the child free or to crush the child's skull and remove it. You heard me. There were entire chapters in every obstetric textbook on destructive procedures to kill and remove a baby that was stuck. Often the baby was already dead at this stage and there was a strong chance that the mother would also die. So these were decisions made in desperate situations. Desperate situations you, the medic, might experience one day if something really happens that takes away modern medicine. Excessive bleeding was another common problem. It is still a risk in childbirth today. Modern obstetrics has resources to drugs, however, which help to control it. In olden times, there was almost nothing a midwife or doctor could do to stop a post-birth hemorrhage, and many women literally bled to death. Infection was the other great scourge of childbirth. Women are very susceptible to infection during and immediately after the process of childbirth. Fevers were both common and deadly, usually starting one or two days after delivery and spreading to the blood within a week. Even an apparent normal birth was no guarantee of a safe recovery for the mother. The strain of a long labor, a stuck placenta, or any number of complications increased the risk significantly. The greatest improvement in the reduction of bad outcomes was the decrease in the number of births per woman. As smaller families became the desired norm and family planning became popular, the emancipation of women helped save many lives. There were still many families that were large by modern standards, but by 1900, the average woman could expect to bear four children, about half the number her mother had. Today, it's even less. The practice of putting women to sleep during labor wasn't commonly done at home, changing the face of childbirth in modern society. In 1900, over 90% of all births occurred in the mother's home. In 1940, over half took place in hospitals, and by 1950, the figure had reached 90%. The substitution of doctors for midwives and hospitals for home delivery, however, did little to save lives. Then, in the late 1930s, antibiotics were introduced. By the end of World War II, the widespread use of antibiotics cut childbirth deaths to its present low level. Because of the importance of antibiotics in saving lives from infections, we wrote a book known as Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, which hopes to give you options in preventing avoidable deaths in disasters or remote settings. Guys, and that new book that uh, this article is referring to is on Amazon, and so you can purchase that, Alton Antibiotics and Infectious Diseases. So childbirth is still a challenge. Have a baby, and as far as I'm concerned, You'll never have to prove your courage in any other way. Dr. Joe Alton, MD. All right, guys. So like I said, this is one of those topics that 
we don't always seem to have a lot of information. It's not one that we naturally think about when we think about survival and preparedness, but it is something that is going to be needed if there ever was a true SHTF scenario or the end of the world as we know it type scenario because people will continue to have babies. Women can, will continue to have or get pregnant and have babies. And this is something that will, you know, to, that will need to be dealt with. I think about it because I have young boys, right? And so eventually at some point, you know, they will get married, they will have wives, they, uh, you know, their wives might get pregnant and it's something that they will have to deal with. You know, referring to Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's articles, definitely you can go and you can always search their articles on their website in which I would always recommend that you do. And one of the cool things about their articles is that you can print them out. They have a little icon at the very end that's a little, it says, you know, print friendly. And so you can uh, bring up uh, the article and print it out if you want to include it in some kind of a binder, a survival binder for yourself. But also their book, the Survival Medical Handbook, does have a section on uh, on babies, you know, and or pregnancy and, and all that kind of stuff. So that might be, again, that book, I re highly recommend that book. That should be the first book that any prepper gets before anything else is that book right there. I think it's, it's just so helpful. They have a lot of great information on there. And so like always, I'm going to put this link in the show notes so you can click over over to the article and you can reread it if you'd like, look at some of the pictures. And then also, if you want to bounce around their website, I would, rec I would highly recommend that. There's a lot of great resources here that they have provided for the preparedness community. I have been visiting their website even way before I started Prepper Website. And so it's definitely one that means a lot to me and I highly recommend their website. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 478. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Hey, don't forget, if you are not subscribed to the show, you can head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.